good morning, everyone, and happy Easter to you. Uh, you know, when I woke up this morning in my house, it was 19 degrees. How about your house? <laughs> and so, you know, you know, spring, Easter is kind of like that landmark moment. You, you're going to make turn the corner, and I kind of complain because it's cold. And last, just last night, my wife said, uh, you're, you're a little cold. Remember this? And she sent me this picture. Just so you know, <clears throat> that was Easter Sunday, 1995. It was April the 16th. Look at that picture closely. Look at the joy on their face <laughs> as they celebrate as they celebrate Easter. So it could be worse. So we're glad you're here. Ushers, come on down. We'll share in our offering together this morning. If you're visiting, someone invited you as a guest and you're not thinking about an offering, don't think about it now. We give an offering as part of our worship. But if some of us give in baskets, some of us do it online, use our phones multiple ways. But if you're visiting with us this morning, we're just glad you're here. We do it as part of our worship. You relax and don't think twice about the offering. A couple things for you. If you are new this morning, if you are visiting, somebody invited you and you made your way here, you're feeling new, perhaps it's not your first time, but you're feeling new, we have a gift for you. Uh, out in the lo- out in the uh, patio area under the tent, out in the lobby area by the info desk, we have a bag, a little welcome bag that we'd like to say thank you for coming. If you're a visitor this morning, stop by and get one of those bags. A couple of things. Number one, they're decent bags. The stuff that's in them is decent. You know, you go to these places, you get a free gift and it's a pen and a magnet. Um, I'm hoping there's not a pen and a magnet in there. I should have checked. But, you know, it's not that. It was, it was put together with spring in mind, so it's got some spring stuff in there, things that you can use. We would love to have you grab one. Now, here's the reason, if you are new or visiting, here's the reason why a lot of people won't grab one. Because you're afraid to get one, you're going to have to talk to somebody. They're going to get, they want to get your name, they're going to get information and that kind of stuff. So it's like, kind of, if you're like me, it's like this. When I go to the fair... You know, I walk at the fair, I go into the, the, uh, the, the, the pavilion piece where all the, the exhibitors are there. If you're like me, when I go there, I walk down the center, dead center. I don't go left or right, because you know if you get a little close, one of you are going to hook you into some conversation. And they do it so well. Like, like you know, all you got to do, they say, hi, how are you? You say hi back, you're in. <laughs> and so if you're, you got to either be rude or you're in. Just so you know, if you like one of these, just go grab one. They're on a table there. Uh, there's someone overseeing the table, but they're not going to say, hey, 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 ID, nope, you're safe. If you'd like one, just take one. You have to sign anything, give it, do anything. We just like to say thank you. Whether you're, whether you're new or not, everyone that came in this morning did get a card, a connect card. You got a calendar, some things happening, and you got a connect card. I want to draw your attention to this just real quickly. You don't have to pick it up. Just, for, just look at this. If you're new, feeling new, would like to connect whenever that time might happen for you, uh, maybe it's your first time, you have some questions you want to get answered, maybe you've been here for a while, you want, to, you want to connect in some way, you can use this. Now it says one, two, three. Just so you know, you don't do all three. You have three options. You can do one, which is QR code. That's the quickest and easiest way. Or you can do number two, which is go to our website, or you can choose three and fill out the card. Don't do all three, but you get to choose. Fill it out at your leisure, what you, want, what you would like to find out about, questions you have, you can use the card. Little things in the backside, areas where you could serve. So some, of you, some of you are saying, I'd like to find a sense of belonging, and oftentimes you do that by jumping in somewhere. There's places where you can do that. But you might look at these, you know, whether, whether it be ushering or coffee or welcome, whatever it may be, and you can say, well, none of those are really me. Uh, I can do other things. Well, there's a box that says other, like this. Maybe you, can, maybe you like to paint, and not artistry. Uh, paint the bedroom. We don't have a bedroom, but we got rooms that need to be painted. We've got all sorts of things, projects here all the time that we look for volunteers to participate in. Maybe you're woodworking. So you can check other and say, hey, I'd be interested in helping out doing certain things. Great way to connect. Use the card. And you have the multiple choices how to uh, pass that along. We're just glad you're here. 
Uh, third thing I want to say in that next week, please come back. You know, the great thing about the Bible is it's so relevant to life. Next week, we're going to start a short series on worry. Because the truth of it is, I don't care who you are. I don't care how you hide it. I don't care how tough you, you, you come across. Every one of us, there's something in our lives somewhere that occupies our mind with some worry or anxiety. The Bible is so practical. Jesus is so practical. We're going to look for the next couple of weeks on worry. And I'd love to have you come back and, and uh, join us for that. And one more thing. Now I'll get into the sermon. Now, if you've been here before, you know I'm a Yankees fan. And you know and most of you are not, I'll just leave it at that. Most of you are not. Most of you are from the dark side. Um, you, believe, you believe in that other team. Every Easter, if you've been here before, you know I always say something about the Red Sox. Um, and so this year, I'm in a dilemma. Because if you, look, if you read all the stuff they do, the predictions coming ahead, everyone says the New York Yankees should be in, in, the, in, the, in the playoffs and they should be at the World Series, should be. Red Sox, they're saying... We'll be probably at the bottom the whole year. So I got, this is like juicy information. And how do I do that? Because you know me, I'm an encourager. And so I want to be, so I, I have, I, so I, I'm not going to take a shot. I want to be encouraging. Here's the deal. I went out and bought a case. I bought a case of Yankee hats. Listen, if any of you Red Sox people want to switch, this is the year to do it. I'm just looking out for you. You want to be on God's team, here we go. So if you want to make the switch, here you go. Now, listen, I can tell already some of you that got a look on your face right now. They're going, I don't think it's funny at all. I don't appreciate it. It's not humorous. It's not, not funny. I'm a Red Sox fan and blah, blah, blah. And maybe you're, someone, maybe you're a Phillies fan. Well, if you're a Phillies fan, God help you. But maybe you're, maybe you're a Red Sox fan and you're thinking, I will not. So here's the deal. I, can't, I don't have hats for every adult here. And I don't expect you to come anyway. But any kids that are in service, any children that are here, you can determine the age. If, if you want to come over to the good side, you come see me afterwards. I got a Yankee hat for you. But some of you parents are going, I will never. <laughs> Just so you know, the fact that I bought these fact that I'm holding this and that I'm doing it here in this church, this is proof of the resurrection. This is an Easter miracle right here. Jesus can change hearts. Don't applaud for that. So listen, kids, any kids in the service, you come up afterward, you can ask for Yankee hat, Red Sox hat. I'll give you either one you ask for with as little pain as I can when I give you the Red Sox hat because kind of, they've been kind of popular. So there we go. Come see me afterward. I'm happy to do this, as long as they last. So a couple of things for you before we get into the sermon, as, as it relates to some thought process. Now I need you to start engaging with me and thinking about a couple of things. Uh, um, oh, yeah, and I covered everything. Got to make sure. I, I, I lose my track which sermon is in. So here's the deal. If you're, if you're here for the first time, first time, or maybe you've been in the church for a long time, I want to remind you of something. We have a tendency to live in a bubble. We don't try to create the bubble, but we live in Vermont, and so it's easy to be in the Vermont, what I call the Vermont church bubble. And that bubble oftentimes has a kind of view that says, hey, we're kind of by ourselves, aren't many Christians, that kind of view. And I just want you to know that if you're a follower of Jesus and you kind of feel like alone, you could not be more wrong. Do you realize that this weekend around the world, three billion people will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Did you hear that number? Three billion people. Stop living in your bubble. 
Stop living in this bubble that goes, ah, oh, it's just a few of us here. No, it's not. This, this is a mass movement around the world. It's a really big deal, this thing called the resurrection. And three billion people are going to celebrate. You're part of that group. That's exciting to me. Another thing I want to tell you as we begin is for anyone who is visiting for the first time, uh, whether first time, never been in church before, you don't have a church home already, or maybe you are here and you've been here before, I need to remind you something that we believe in. I need to make sure that you understand of what we as a church believe in, what I believe in and what we believe in, and it's simply this. We believe that Jesus Christ did indeed live and then die, that he really was dead, and we believe that he came back from the dead. Physically, literally, bodily, he came back from the dead. Not a spiritual thing, not a ghost, not the spirit world. We believe that Jesus Christ quite literally, bodily, came back from the dead. Not a hopeful story a bunch of people have made up, but we believe that Jesus really died, was buried, and three days later came back from the dead. Now this next statement will probably catch some of you church people off guard because here's the next statement. And we believe this not because the Bible says so. Because that's kind of how it goes. I grew up in a, in a, in a family setting where anything that we were told, well, how, why do we believe that? Because the Bible says so. We believe in Jesus, why? Because the Bible says so. Believe in resurrection, because the Bible says so. I want to tell you, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead for, for something more foundational than that. Now, you might argue a little bit of semantics here, and I do get that, but let me make sure you get this right. As one, per, one writer put it this way, he said, the Bible really doesn't tell us anything. The Bible itself, if you will, doesn't tell us anything. And he reminds us of this. He says, the Bible is actually a collection of ancient documents written by 40 different people over the period of, of hundreds of years. The different accounts of these 40 people, and by different accounts different over, over X amount of years, it means they didn't get a chance to sit in a room together and say, hey, let's create the Bible. Separate from one another, they began to document and create and write eyewitness accounts. The Bible is actually a collection of ancient records. So when we say that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, it's not because the Bible says so. It's because a guy named Matthew, who was a first century tax collector, was one day sitting on the side of the road collecting taxes, and Jesus came along and said, follow me, and Matthew's life was changed. Matthew followed Jesus. Matthew was there when Jesus died. He saw him die. He knew that he was dead. He saw that he went in the tomb, and he saw Jesus alive afterward, and Matthew wrote it down. He recorded his eyewitness account. We believe that Jesus is alive today because of a doctor named Luke, a physician named Luke, followed Jesus, saw him live, saw him die, saw him come back to life. And on top of that, Luke went and, and um, interviewed eyewitnesses to verify the story, and he recorded it. So it will be written in history. We believe it to be true because John, the first person who actually ran inside of the tomb, who was there, quite literally there at the moment when Jesus died. He recorded the fact that Jesus came back to life as eyewitness account. We believe Jesus is alive today because Peter, a fisherman, dropped everything to follow Jesus. And in fact, if you know the story of Peter, Peter lived and died the story of Jesus. In fact, he was persecuted and executed by crucifixion. Only Peter wouldn't die on the cross like Jesus did. He didn't feel himself worthy of that, so he wanted to be crucified upside down. And just so you know, make sure you get this right, G uh, Peter was not crucified for what he believed. Now, if one of us die because of our faith, 
then we can say he does. Scott died for his faith. He, he died for what he believed. Peter didn't die for what he believed. Peter died because of what he saw. There's a big difference there. He's an eyewitness. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't recant. He wouldn't change. He said, no, I saw it happen. We believe that Jesus Christ came back from the dead because a guy named James. Seem you might recall that James was actually the brother of Jesus. Now, James was interesting. James wasn't in the storyline when Jesus was doing all these miracles. James doesn't show up into the storyline until after the resurrection. Which means while Jesus was out doing miracles, changing water into wine and loaves and fishes, feeding thousands of people, that either James wasn't there, James wasn't recorded as being there, maybe he was doubtful, we don't know. But we know that James does show up after the resurrection when there's a question that's being brought up to the church leaders, and he's a church leader, and James would say, absolutely, he is who he said he was. That's, a no, that's no small deal. Because you know that it would take quite a bit for your sibling to look at you and say, you're right. And so James says, yeah, he is who he said he was. Now, here's the deal for most of us. Let me give you a picture here. So if you're, if you're a Jesus follower and you struggle with the resurrection, the fact that he came back to life, and some followers do. If you're not a follower of Jesus because you say, I can't buy in because I can't, I can't get past someone who died and came back to life, let's talk. Let me tell you what happens here. Let me tell you what, what, the, what the thing is that a lot of people do in our culture throughout history to try to reckon the fact of the stuff they love about Jesus, but they can't really get a hold of and swallow the resurrection. What happens is this. We try to separate the life and teachings of Jesus out from the resurrection of Jesus. We kind of try to separate those. We kind of divorce those from one another. Because the truth of it is, the stories and the quotes of Jesus are really kind of nice. A lot of people like that. I mean, who doesn't like love your neighbor? Who doesn't like that? Who doesn't like that idea of, of it's more blessed to give than receive? You can find that, that little thing labeled on signs everywhere in store. It'd be a Christian store. I mean, people love the idea of doing to others that you treat them the way you like to be treated. It's a biblical concept. People love, I mean, people love the Sermon on the Mount. Poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. We love all that stuff. Bible verses. I mean, the most crooked politician in the world likes using Bible verses when it suits them. And so everyone likes to quote a little something there. I mean, everything that we know about Jesus and like about Jesus, uh, just, just so you know, it's, it's all there and we like it. It's just good stuff. But here's the problem. Everything we know about Jesus came from writers who when they wrote it, they also said, here's all this good stuff. But by the way, Jesus Christ really did come back from the dead. In fact, central to what every one of those writers wrote, central to everything that they lived and died for was the resurrection. They said, listen, yeah, here's all these great things, great little sayings, got it, great miracles of Jesus, but what's key here is the resurrection really happened. So here's the question I have for you. How can people separate the two? How, how, in fact, if it's so central, how do people, and maybe even here today, how do people say, well, I'm going to take the good stuff of the Jesus piece, but I'm not going to really buy into the resurrection because I, I can't do that. How does that work? Well, here's what some people believe is how we can get there today. Some people believe that go back 2,000 years plus, Jesus dies. He had those great teaching, great following. But when he dies, his followers are there and they're going, uh-oh, you know, the leader's done over and some people would believe that what happened is they all got together 
And they said to themselves, man, this is too good of stuff to let, to let go. I mean, we don't have a leader anymore, but this is good stuff. We've got to keep it going. So here's what we'll do. We'll create a story. We'll create a story that Jesus actually died and then came back from the dead. And by doing that, we can keep this thing going. Because a lot of good stuff here that we, we don't want to lose. So we'll keep the Bible going. We'll keep the teachings going. But we won't worry much about the resurrection part because it's not that important. Let me paint a picture why if you might lean that way or you know someone who does, the problem with that by leaning that way by saying, well, we'll take the good stuff and leave out the resurrection part. So when I was in college, I was senior in college, I, was, I went to school specifically to study to be a pastor. I had a double major. I had a major in Bible and theology and I majored in psychology. I thought both of them would come in handy someday. That's where I was headed. I graduated from high school and my parents gave me, because I knew I was going to go into ministry. I graduated from high school. My parents gave me as one of my graduation gifts, they gave me a great big leather Bible. Thompson Chain Reference Bible. Big, and it's the kind you use to study from. So that was one of my gifts because I was going to Bible college. So I went, and I used that Bible all through my college experience right to my senior year. Senior year, uh, in the school we were at, there was a big hallway where you could sit your books down and go to lunch type of thing. I set my books down, did it every day for three years. Set my stuff down, went to lunch, came back, my Bible's gone. Somebody stole my Bible in Bible college. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm going, you got to be kidding me. My, my wife, my girlfriend at that point, Diane, comes along and she's going, well, who does that? And it's like, absolutely. You steal a Bible and Bible college. Now, if you think about it, that makes sense though. I mean, if you're a mechanic, what do you want to steal a Bible for to help you in mechanic school? But if you're going to Bible college, you might as well steal it there. You know, at least you're, at least you're a tool you can use. So I'm sitting there going, who steals the Bible? So I keep watching for it. Look, it doesn't show up. A couple months later, going to lunch one day, put my, my books in the same place I usually do. As I'm walking down the hall to go to lunch, I look and there's a stack of books. Looks, it looks like my Bible in there. So I pull the stuff aside, open it up. Sure enough, it's got my name on it and his notes that he's been taking. Now here's the problem. Here's the picture. Make sure you get this. So if we can interview the guy. We'd say, so here's the deal. You took that Bible? Uh-huh. I mean, you, you took it. It's not yours. Yep. What'd you do with it? I'm in Bible college. I use it to study. I study it. Study the Bible. And when you were studying it, what did you learn? Well, it said don't steal. <laughs> you see the problem there? You know, the problem is we, you can't pick and choose. You can't go, oh, I like the good stuff here. But toss out the resurrection part. No, that's the problem with it. Now, here's what I want to do in our moments that remain. I want to make the case, if you will. If there is no resurrection... If Jesus Christ did not come back to life, physically, bodily, come back from the dead, then we should abandon all things Christian. I'm going to make the case today that if Jesus Christ had not come back, the Apostle Paul is going to make the case. If Jesus Christ is not alive, then I say, dump it all. Don't pick and choose, dump it all. If Jesus didn't come back from the dead, then throw it all away, abandon all things that we hold on to, things like this. How many times have we gone to funerals where loved ones have died and we've said, well, now they're in heaven. Nope. Now they're in a better place. Uh-uh. Out. Um, don't bother being nice to other people. doesn't matter. If you ever had a thought in your mind that when someone does something evil and you have this thought that says, well, someday they're going to have a day of reckoning. Nope. They won't. God toss that out. Quit wasting your time serving. Stop giving your money. Don't feed the hungry. Don't do any of the church stuff you usually do. In fact, quit coming to church. I mean, not today. And maybe come back next week too, just one more time. But then but after that, then quit. You know, if there's no resurrection, then just stop anything that has to do with the Bible or Jesus. If there is no resurrection, then none of it matters. The Apostle Paul is dealing with this thing. So here's a quick background. 
There's a group of uh, people in a church in a town called Corinth that Paul writes a letter to, and here's what's going on in the church. It's a pretty big church. And there's a group inside of the church that have come to a place where they kind of rejected the resurrection. Kind of like our culture today. Now catch this. They had an attitude that said this. Hey, listen, we love the Jesus piece. We love the teachings. We love all that. But the truth of it is, we're a little too sophisticated. We're a little too intellectual. We're a little too scientific to really buy the resurrection piece. But that's okay. We're going to keep all the other stuff, but we'll just pretend the resurrection just isn't important. So Paul goes, I got to talk about it. I got to address that. So Paul writes a letter. He writes a letter. This is about 20, 23 years after the resurrection. And Paul writes to them because there's this group that goes, yeah, I don't know. Now, truth of it is, friends, here today, if we could get into people's minds and hearts and see what you're thinking and feeling, I'm thinking there'd be some of us who are followers of Jesus who would say, yeah, I'm, I'm really in and all. But I got to tell you, the resurrection is a little hard for me to grab hold of. So stick with me as we walk through this. So Paul starts right. Here we go. Yeah, and 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. So don't forget, there's a group of church people that said, no resurrection. Love Jesus, love all the rest, but not that. He says this, okay. So, and if Christ, he says, has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Stop there. First one, kind of offensive to me. So your preaching is useless. It's like, ouch, it's what I do for a living. Then I felt better when I studied it more and realized he's not talking about me, he's talking about him. He was saying that our preaching, well, who's the our? It's him and all these other disciples. Their preaching is useless. useless. And your faith is useless. The thing that you've heard that you copy. Like how many weddings have you been at? Not church weddings, secular wedding, non-church wedding, where they have a nice reading and it sounds something like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no records of wrong. And people go, oh, I love that saying. Bible, throw it out. Can't use it. Worthless. How many times in a crisis... Have you said or other people have said when something's gone wrong in someone's life? And we don't say, so we say these words. Well, you know, everything happens for a purpose. You know what? That's kind of a biblical concept. Nope, toss that out. Everything doesn't happen for a purpose. Just toss it. It, 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 it. It's irrational. Then Paul adds this in verse 15. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. So false witnesses, you know what he's saying? Paul says, on top of that, we're liars. Well, who's we? Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, Paul, me, we're liars. We tell you that Jesus came from the, back from the dead, and he goes, if there's no resurrection, then we're just flat out lying to you. If there's no resurrection, then just, just, rip, just take a Bible. Now, be careful here. But if there is no resurrection of Jesus, just take the closest Bible, not the one in the row in front of you, and just start ripping out the pages you don't like. Just start ripping out the pages you don't like. Because if there is no resurrection of Jesus, then you get the option to go through, oh, I like this, I don't like this, I like this, don't like that, and just start ripping them out. Years ago, I had a woman come to my office one talk to me. She was in law enforcement. She was very high up in law enforcement. And she had a couple issues with some of the things the Bible taught. And it was a great, I mean, I knew her. It was a great conversation. And it hit me. A light came on. And so we're talking. I said to her, I got a question for you. I said, you have all sorts of people work underneath you. I mean, she was high as a guy. So Everybody worked for her in this particular field. And I said, so what happens if one of your agents, one of your, your people underneath you, they come to you and they say, you know, I'm really struggling with this, this particular part of the penal code, uh, this particular law or rule. I don't want to enforce it. Uh, can they, and before I go any further, she goes, stop, I know what you're doing. And I said, well, if you know what I'm doing, then let me finish. I said, so they come to you and say, I don't want to enforce that. Do they have the freedom to pull that page out 
And she goes, no, and I can't take a page out of the Bible. I don't like either. I go, yeah, you can. I mean, you can. Everyone does it. But it doesn't make sense. Because pick and choose. Paul says, listen, if you're not going to believe in the resurrection, you might as well just t- take, take the Bible and start pulling it apart. He's on a roll. Then he goes to verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, on top of that, he says, your faith is futile. And by the way, you're still in your sins. To that, the people would have gone, wait a minute, in our sins? Paul, wait a minute. I've always believed that God is a forgiving and loving God and for, forgave me of my sins. And Paul would say, well, that's really nice. Where'd you hear that? My grandma told me. My grandma went to church her whole life. My grandma studied the Bible. I mean, I trust Graham. And she said, God is loving and forgiving. And he goes, well, okay, so where did she get that from? Well, she got it from church. And the church, they studied the Bible. And Paul would go, oh, Bible? Nope. Out. Well, then you go, you're, 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 you're a little sharp. You mean, you're, you're kind of you know, in tune to this. You go, wait, time out. How about this, Paul? God is love. Everybody knows God is love. And the apostle Paul would say, hey, that's really good. Who wrote that? Uh, John. You mean John, the guy, first guy in the tomb, uh, ran in the tomb? Yep. You mean John, the liar? Uh, okay, how about this, Paul? You can't argue with this. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, to, for whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What do you say to that? And Paul would just say, again, who's the writer of that? Oh, yeah, John the liar. So you got to toss it out. You can't use any of that. I mean, but you say, well, I believe that. doesn't matter what you choose to believe. you got to toss it because if there's no resurrection, here's the thing. Paul says, listen, folks, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a big deal. And if it didn't happen, then nothing else is true. If you don't believe it, then at least have the integrity and you have no grounds to believe anything else about the Bible. You can't pick and choose. Do you realize that no other religion in the world, no other religion in the world would ever dare do what Christianity has done? Do you realize that Christianity has based the whole tenet of Christianity, the whole foundation of Christianity is based on one central thought and that is its founder, Jesus, lived died, was buried for three days, and came back from the dead. No other religion would dare make their whole case on that having to be true. Why? Because if they don't come back from the dead, the whole thing collapses. The whole thing just drops to the ground dead. But Jesus came back from the grave. The Christianity is the only religion that would say, we're going to base everything on the impossible. An incredible thing. Now, at some point in this, in this thought process, some of you can say, hey, time out, Scott. You know, you're, you're getting all worked up. Calm down. You're, uh, you're, you're, you're talking to the wrong guy here because I don't even believe in the Bible. I'm not a Jesus person. I'm only here because my girlfriend. I'm only here because somebody said, come to church with us. We'll take you for lunch after. I'm here for the lunch. I'm here for the donuts. So save your breath. And I would just say this. Just stick with me for a moment. Think again. Where do you think that every law in our country has come from? Where do you think, when you have this thought in your mind which says, you know what, I think there's such a thing as right and wrong. I think there's thing as such as justice. When I see some people see being hurt or I get hurt, I'm thinking there should be some kind of justice involved there. You know what, those are all biblical ideas. Every law in our country came from a biblical foundation, biblical ideals. When you think about God, what God is like, grace and forgiveness and full of mercy, all these things are biblical ideals. They are not, the, the idea of justice for people, the idea of freedom, the idea of, of, um, of uh, not vengeance, but of a punishment, meeting the crime, 
The idea that if there's going to be a consequence, because everyone knows if someone does this, there should be a consequence. All that are biblical ideals. They're not the ideals of Congress. They're not the ideals of, of uh, the Supreme Court. Now, here's what we do. People say this, my whole life in ministry, people say this. They get kind of pressed a little bit and say, well, it's got, you know, whatever. I just, I like to believe. You ever hear that term? Well, I like to believe. You forget the, you know, forget any truth thing. They kind of, what I like to believe, or I like this part. What I believe my God is, or I like to believe my God to be, and they kind of go, I like. And you say, well, okay, you believe. You, you believe what exactly? Why do you believe it? Well, I just believe it. I, I have a belief. I just believe it because, just because. Shouldn't you base your belief on something that's got a little thing more than just how you feel in the moment? I mean, it just seems that's right to me. Now, here's my question for you. Are there any other areas in your life where you just believe something, but you don't have it founded on something of substance? I would say chances are good not. You leave church today, you're speeding down the road, you're going 80 miles an hour in a 50 mile an hour zone. Essex police pulls you over. They're very nice. They're very gracious. They walk up and they say, hey, uh, take in reg- license registration, please, because you're speeding. And you go, oh, oh, oh officer, this will probably help you. But as a, as a sovereign citizen, I believe that I can go as fast as I want. And the officer goes, well, that's fantastic. Here's your ticket, pay it or go to jail. But I, I don't believe I should. That's great, don't. I'll arrest you next time. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you, you believe it. Or how about the student that says to the professor, hey, listen, I got to share with you, I, I really don't believe in Newton's law of gravity. And the professor looks and goes, man, that's fantastic. You know, you're in the right place because college is all about finding out who you are, figuring out what you believe. I mean, you're in the right, right place to explore all that. Oh, and by the way, you just failed the course. You go, you go figure out who you are, what you believe. But you know what? Newton's law, that's the standard for this course. You just failed. Now, listen carefully. This next statement kind of unlocks the thought process here in this whole thing. In this world of reality, we live in a real world. We live in a world with tangibles, those kind of things. If what you believe, um, what, I should say not if, what you believe does not determine your reality. You can't sit there and say, I'm going to believe such and such, and it's going to create the reality. It doesn't work that way. The reality speaks into what we believe. The reality forms what we then in believe. So here's the deal. So if you spend the rest of your life believing that God is loving simply because you like that picture and it's not founded on anything you need to know that's just foolishness and to try to create a belief system on a reflection of something I'm telling you all the laws that we have all the things we like about loving each other that's all God principle but to try to have a whole belief system on a reflection of something without basing it on the fact of something is just foolishness Listen, friends, you can't resurrect Jesus, his morals. You can't resurrect the teachings of Jesus. You can't resurrect the grace and the ethics of Jesus and the forgiving of Jesus and still leave Jesus in the ground. You just can't do it. So Paul then switches. He gets real personal. Up to this point, Paul has been philosophical, and now he gets really personal with people. Here's what he says in verse 18. He also says, so if there is no resurrection, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost. See, now it gets personal because we've all lost people. So Paul says, so another thing, if you don't believe in Jesus being alive, well, then all those people that you, you buried, they're, they're lost. Now, real carefully here, to clarify something, when I, the church I grew up in, when you had the word lost, it meant hell. you kind of equivalent of hell. You know, you're lost, you're going to hell. That's kind of the equivalent. But that's not what the word lost means. You know what the word lost means? The word lost in Greek means lost. It just means lost. 
Like when you lose your cell phone, you don't go, oh dear, I think my cell phone's in hell. No. <laughs> you lost your cell phone. When you lose your keys, by the way, someone left some keys here a couple months ago. And it's not just a set of car keys. It looks like you're the warden of some prison. There's more keys than that thing, and there is a car key there. It's an Italian-made car, and you've left it here. It's been here for months. It's in Lost and Found. But here's the good news. Your keys aren't in hell. It's in Lost and Found. So make sure what Paul's saying is this. So you don't believe in the resurrection, those loved ones that died, just so you know, they're lost. You know where they're at. You don't know where they've gone to. They're just lost out there. This is a huge thing. It means you don't know where they're at. And this is huge. Paul says, you know those funerals you've been at for your parents, for your mom, for your dad, for maybe your kids, and you've always had that hope that there's something else and you'll see them again. Paul says, if there's no rectionaries of Jesus, just so you know, what a waste of time. All that comfort that you grab hold of, nope, no comfort there. Now listen, your entire concept, our entire concept of heaven is, is shaped and based on something, this idea of an afterlife. It's founded, it's grounded in a single event in history. It's grounded on the fact that Jesus Christ really came back from the dead. Paul says this, if there is no resurrection of the dead, if there is no resurrection of Jesus, if he did not come back from the dead, then you might as well just choose whatever you want to believe about eternity. Pick a thing you like, just go with it, because none of, none of else matters. Now, by the way, remember this. If you're going to reject the resurrection and think it doesn't matter, then when evil people do evil things in this world, like the Hitlers like mass shootings, like people who abuse children, and you watch that and you think to yourself that someday they'll get theirs. Hell is waiting for them. Nope. You see, our hearts yearn, right, for justice. Our hearts yearn in those moments for, well, someday there's gotta be some reckoning. And Paul would say, I gotta tell you, if you're gonna throw out the resurrection, you gotta throw all that out too. And then finally, Paul says this in verse 19. He says, and finally, he says, if, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, of all people, the most to be pitied. Well, Paul's meaning this. He said, listen, if your belief in Jesus is just to get you through life here, if our hope in Jesus is just the kind of thing that we grab a hold of here to make life a little easier for us, then Paul says this, well, then of all people to be pitied, you Christians are the ones. Why would he say that? Because look at this. You know all that money that you have given to the church, to missions, to ministry? Paul says, you should have kept it. Pity you. For those of you through your life that have fought to stay pure in a, in a world that is not pure. Everyone else is sleeping around. Maybe you're a student. Everyone else is going to wild parties. People are into drugs and drinking. But not you. You have fought to stay clean. You have fought to stay pure. Paul would say, yeah, you should have slept around. Look what you've missed. You're to be pitied for those of you in difficult marriages and you've stayed in the battle for your marriage simply because of your faith. Paul would say, you should have moved on long ago. Pity you if there is no resurrection of Jesus. For those of you who give your time here, or maybe in your local church, maybe you're visiting from another church, you give your time to serve in the church, you give your time to be in the nursery to work with children, students, whatever it might be. Maybe you're one of the people that got up early this morning at five o'clock and came here early to make sure coffee was ready and the donuts were ready, the sound was ready, the lights were on, and the worship people were all set. Maybe you're one of those folks, and I would just say, or Paul would just say, just stay home, you should have, just go shop, go to the lake. I mean, not right now, but see, you know, when it gets warmer, just go do something else with your time and your life. Pity you. 
pity you all the time and energy that you have wasted, all the money, you foolish people. So at this point, you could be saying, Scott, I got to tell you, this is not a real encouraging message. I was hoping for a little more upbeat moment. It's pretty dark. I got to tell you, it's not just pretty dark. It's really dark. If there is no resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's dark. It's a dark, dark picture. But, and the Apostle Paul has one more verse in this whole section of what he writes, and it starts with the word but. In verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. That word but, as I was reading commentary on it and writers, that little but's kind of an interesting thing. He doesn't just use the word but like it is just but. There's a, there's a Greek word he could have used, which is just that word, simple word but, spelled D-E in Greek. But he adds to it another word in Greek, which means like above and beyond. He puts them together, and when you put them together, you get this. The Apostle Paul says this. After all those things about all the things that you got to throw out if there is no resurrection, and he, his translation comes out like this. Are you kidding me? Instead of saying, but, he goes, really? Really? I mean, are, you got to come to your senses. That's what it all means. He says, you got to be serious here. you got to realize there indeed was a resurrection. I mean, that's that little but. He goes, you got to be kidding me if you toss that out. Friends, the resurrection matters. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that you can plant your faith and stake your life on Jesus Christ. Christianity is the only religion that stakes its entire existence, catch this, on the impossible. No other religion in the world stakes its very existence on that which is absolutely impossible to pull off. No other, no other religion would say, yep, we believe it, and it's all contingent upon our founder dying, coming back to life. Only Christianity bases everything on the impossible. And if there is no resurrection of Jesus, the whole thing falls apart. But friends, listen, the whole thing has not fallen apart. For 2,000 years, it has not fallen apart. For 2,000 years, it's grown to 3 billion people who are celebrating Jesus. And I need you to know that the story and the life-changing effect of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is as life-changing and as powerful today as it was 2,000 plus years ago when those first women went to the tomb. And when those disciples began to, began to sink in that Jesus was alive, as life-changing as it was then, it's even more life-changing now. Paul, I think, would say this to us. He says this to the church at Corinth, and he says this to the church here at Essex, whether in this room or watching online, he says to us this. Listen, friends, the resurrection, I get it, can be a tough one. It's a hard one. I know that you've never seen anybody come back from the dead. No one's ever seen that happen other than this group back in, when, the, that group of people who saw it right then were eyewitnesses. I mean, Peter saw it, John, Matthew, he would say this, I know it's hard, but you need to know they all saw it. In fact, hundreds of other people saw it. In fact, Paul adds this in there. He said hundreds of other people actually eyewitnessed the resurrection and they're mostly still alive. Don't forget, it's only 20, 23 years after the case. So Paul actually writes, most of those people are still alive. So listen, go over to Jerusalem and, and ask them. And if you go to Jerusalem and ask them, they will look you in the eye and they will say, absolutely it happened. And then he would say this, I think, he would say, then step back from their words and look at their lives. And he would say, you look at their lives and they are living different lives. These are people who are not afraid of death. 
These are people who are not afraid to die. These are people who are not, uh, not afraid of what's coming next. These are people who have not, have not changed their life. They are not afraid of persecution. These people are not mounting up for the end. These people look to the future and they go, man, we'll take on anything because the resurrection matters and it matters to you. Listen carefully as we wrap up. It matters to you. If you're one of those folks in that difficult marriage, the resurrection means there's hope. Don't you give up. The fact that Jesus alive means there's hope for that marriage. Your prayers are not in vain. Your prayers are not wasted. That child, those kids that you wish were following Jesus, those kids that are living lifestyles, maybe destructive lifestyles, and as a parent, you are brokenhearted about that. Don't you give up hope because Jesus Christ is alive. The funerals that you've been to for your mom and for your dad, where you've had to say goodbye and it hurt for your husband, perhaps, for a wife. For some of you, you've had to say goodbye to a son or for a do- to a daughter. Hear this. You get to see them again. It's not over because Jesus Christ is alive and the resurrection matters to you. You're giving your money to the church. It's not in vain. Your service matters. Being an usher or working in the nursery or with students, whatever it might be, it's not in vain. Your kindness to others. The things that you do that are just kindness to other people that no one else sees because Jesus is alive, he sees it. And it matters what you do. Your sacrifice is not in vain. Your self-control is not in vain. Fighting to stay pure in this crazy world is not a lost cause. It matters. When you come to worship, it matters. Folks, the tears that have run down every one of our cheeks at some point in time about something that has broken your heart, he has seen every tear. And it matters because he's alive. The resurrection of Jesus Christ matters to your life. Now, if you're here and you're not a, not a, a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a, not a Bible person, you're not a Jesus person, then I want you to forget everything I've said so far, which you probably will anyway, but forget everything I've said so far. Some of you are saying, wait a minute, why don't you tell me in the beginning? I would have tuned out earlier. Just stick with me here. If you're a person who rejects it all anyway, just throw everything out I've said so far, and I want you to focus on this one thought, this one issue. And I don't care. I hope you have to wrestle with this the rest of your life till you get it settled, but I want you to wrestle with this one issue. The issue for Christianity is not the fact, not the fact that you got ripped off by some Christians sometime along the way, and so you reject Christianity because those Christians ripped you off. That's not the issue. It's not the issue that you work with a Christian and that person's a real jerk. And so you, don't want, you want nothing to do with Christianity because of that person or person. That's not the issue. The issue is not what happened to the dinosaurs. And the issue is not how old the earth is. Not the issue. The issue is not, well, Adam and Eve, were they, did they, were they real? Did they really live? Not the issue. The issue is not, well, my parents were, you know, devout followers of Jesus and they were horrible people. Not the issue. Or this, you know, my parents went to church and they got divorced and the church abandoned them. That's not the issue either. None of those things are the issues. Friends, there's only one issue I want you to wrestle with. And that issue is this. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Did Jesus Christ come back to life? If he didn't, game over for Christianity. If he didn't, then I would just encourage you, stop believing or stop using any of it. Throw it all out. But if he did come back from the dead, changes everything. And listen carefully, 
if he did come back from the dead, then all in. All in. Because it means you're only here for a short time, and then comes eternity. So if he did come back from the dead, I want to challenge you today, be all in. It means this, friends. It means that your life, it matters. It means there's more to this life than this life. It means there actually is justice in this world. It means that that sense of right and wrong that you have inside of you, that's actually the thumbprint of God on your life. That sense of justice, that's God there. It means that the faith of your grandma was rock solid. It means that your life has meaning. It means that your sins can be forgiven. Every sin, any sin. It means heaven is real. Friends, the whole Christian faith rises and falls. It begins and it ends on only one event in history, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, be encouraged because your faith is not in vain and you have staked your life on a truth that will carry you through everything you face in this day and usher you right into eternity. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, I would say to you, take the challenge. Wrestle with that fact. Is he alive? Is he not? What a perfect time of year to say, okay, I, 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 I can't just keep doing it. I'm going to use bits and pieces and not the real deal. Buy in, all in. Watch your life be changed. Stand, please. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the resurrection matters. I pray this morning for those folks, whether first-time believers, never been in church before, maybe some folks that are long-time believers, but they kind of they want to pick and choose the things. And but when it comes to the resurrection, they kind of go, ah, I don't know. I pray that you would settle this in their heart this day. There's an act of faith here. There's no question about it. But it's not blind faith. It's faith based on eyewitness accounts. People's lives have been actually changed. It's not a blind faith. It's a faith that's been, that's been, been, been running strong for 2,000 plus years. And it's not falling apart. Even though Christianity would be the only group in the world that would stake everything they believe on, a, on the impossible. The impossible happened. And it's changed our lives. So for the non-believer, I pray that you would challenge them. Maybe in the course of this day, this week, there'd be a moment when quietness where they look at, look at themselves and say, you know, God, I don't even know what I'm doing here. I'm not sure if you're up there or where you're at. I don't understand it all, but man, if what he said is true, then I want Jesus. Jesus, you took my sins. Thank you. I want to follow you. What a great time to be a follower of Jesus. They encourage us with these truths this day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Happy Easter to you.